Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With four campuses scattered throughout Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. As we begin today, I want to, um, to ask you a, a really simple question. Good morning to everyone, and certainly uh, uh, welcome. We're glad you guys are with us in the room, in all of our rooms, and also um, online. And the question is this, what is it that inspires you? What moves you? I don't know that we um, stop and think or consider what moves us enough. And part of what this series is about is to really try to help us understand what happens inside of our hearts. We've been looking at this passage in uh, Proverbs chapter four, and it contains really one of the most, uh, for me, one of the most profound instructions in all of the scriptures. It says, above everything else, guard your heart, because from it flows everything else. And this is really about what moves us, what shapes us, what causes us to get up in the morning, what causes us to uh, give of ourselves or anything else. And we've been looking at these, this pattern we've been long talking about around Port City for a long time. Oh, wait. Encounter, uh, formation, and expression. And when it comes to the way we change or want to change, most all of our efforts all are found over here. We try to figure out what kind of things can we do differently to make our lives different? What promises will we make to ourselves? You know, how are we gonna get better organized or how are we gonna read our Bible more? How are we gonna go to church more? It's all over here. How are we gonna do things differently so that our lives look different and spend very little time trying to understand what's happening inside of our hearts, what's happening in here? And what I've been talking about over the last um, couple of weeks, because I remember this years ago, um, I was at a, I've been a, you know, obviously I've been picking words for a long time. We do my one word around here. It's where we abandon, you know, New Year's resolutions, promises to ourselves, and instead we pick a word. And I've got all my words. Uh, they're listed out every year at the beginning uh, of my journal. That's how, I, that's how I start my year off. I'm already working on my next year's word, but they're all listed at the beginning of my journal. I just write them all out from 2007 all the way down every word. And in 2014, my word was inspire. I remember thinking about this. One of my words was behold, which I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, but my word was inspire. And it was about like, how am I gonna inspire others? And there was a lot of, you know, a lot of that kind of drive and momentum in there. And I remember I was uh, up in the mountains and um, I was staying at a friend's house and um, they have an artist in the family. And so you walk through the house and there's all these paintings uh, of Grandfather Mountain um, all throughout the house painted by the artist in the family. And, you know, I just stopped and, and noticed and looked at him. And, and then one morning I'm sitting out on the porch and we're overlooking Grandfather Mountain. And I remember thought, what would move me to paint something? What would cause me to see something and look at this and then want to go and take a brush and paint it? Now, I, I grew up and, and, you know, sort of, uh, and I have an architecture uh, degree. And so I studied a lot of things about design and such. But just to like really be moved, I don't consider myself an artist by any stretch. Um, I'm a hack musician. I know power chords. So I can play every 80s song, which is probably the only thing you really need to know. And um, so I've, I've hacked a lot of things, but, but it was really to try to stop. And what I realized was, especially in 2014, after this really long season 
of just going and going and going hard and a lot of things happening and making a lot of decisions and moving things. And you sort of get very aggressive in the way you approach life. And I realized it's been a long time since I'd been moved. I don't know if for some of you, when's the last time you've like been moved to tears? When's the last time something has emotionally bothered you or challenged you or caused you to just feel something deeper than what maybe you're accustomed to feeling? A lot of this is largely due to the fact that we just don't really pay that close of attention to things. We resist things, right? Um, it's, it's movies, it's stories, it's all these things. And, and my, the reason I bring this up is because we've got to figure out what's happening inside of here if this is really where our lives flow from. And it doesn't start with the things that you're gonna set yourself to do. It's gonna start with the things that you set your eyes on and the way in which you see. And that's what I wanna explain to us or talk to us about this morning and really help us understand what happens inside of our heads and how that affects our hearts. A lot of us, we wake up in the morning, we have all kinds of thoughts. You've probably seen this before, right? We have all kinds of thoughts. And it's like, I'll wake up in the morning and I think, oh, I'm hungry, or oh, I gotta check my Instagram, or oh, I gotta check whatever. And, and whatever it is that starts to happen, and we end up with, you know, our thoughts just feel like they're things like, we end up, I don't know if you can do this, we end up kind of juggling our thoughts. Anybody live like this? Isn't that pretty good? Oh, there it goes. Anyway, forget it. We end up juggling our thoughts, and they're, they go all over the place, and they don't stop, they bounce around. And if you're like me, that's how most of them end up being. And what ends up happening is in, by the time the day gets full, we got six or eight thoughts and they're just bouncing around in our head like this. And sometimes they're flying out, sometimes they're not. And this is what it feels like. A lot of us live like this. This causes anxiety and worry. It's just this spin of things we don't think. We have any control over what happens in our brains, what happens with our thoughts. And so we end up just living at the mercy of whatever pops into our brain, which is usually driven not so much by what we're thinking, but by what entertains us, what happens to grab our attention. And what we've been talking about, what I want for us to understand is that the price of our attention, the price that you will pay for your attention comes at the expense of your heart. The things that you set your eyes on, the things that you allow to grab your mind and your eyes will eventually capture the affection of your heart. And you've got to pay attention to this. The second thing we've been talking about is that you are responsible for your attention. I just saw the stat this week that the average person sees between five and 10,000 advertising messages per day. They are after your attention, whoever they is. They are after your attention. And we can say, well, it's the phone's fault or well, it's the TV's fault or well, it's all these other, but you are responsible for what you set your eyes on, what you allow to affect your own head and your own heart. That's what I've, I've learned and tried to apply in my life over the last 15 or 20 years. And I've found tremendous challenge in it and also tremendous freedom in it. But if you don't steward your attention without the capacity to steward your attention, you will live at the mercy of whatever entertains you. And this is just happening. This just happens to us without doing anything other than waking up. Things are after your attention, whether it's Netflix or whether it's, 
you know, something in your job or whether it's the pressures that you feel or whether it's some vision that you have that you're supposed to live up to that everybody else expects of you or something more devious than that. It affects who we are and we live at the mercy of whatever entertains us. And this is really the key part is that whatever captures your heart will eventually capture your affection. When it comes to understanding sort of the idea, the formation of our hearts, I began to think about this years ago, and I've, I've been trying to understand the idea of desire. What is it that I want? Like, this is the idea of inspiration. What, what moves me? What is it that I want? What am I willing to sacrifice for? What am I willing to give up time for? What am I willing to give up um, whatever it is? What am I willing, what do I want? What's the desires in there? And sometimes what I realize, and I don't know if you're like this, but sometimes I want the wrong things. Anybody ever want wrong things? Just me. We want wrong things sometimes. And we end up thinking that we're bad or we're this or whatever. And what I've realized, that's just the way our minds sort of happen. It's just what happens in us. Every thought that comes into your brain isn't necessarily a good thought. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad person just because you had a bad thought enter your brain. It means you're human. It means you have eyes. It means that you live in a world where all kinds of things are pulling at you. We're gonna see this in just a moment. But there's a huge connection between what it is that we see and what it is that we desire. Because when you see something that catches your eye and it appeals to a certain part of you, does it appeal to the part of you that wants to live fully and freely or does it appeal to the part of you that wants to escape and take things into your own matter and uh, in your own hands and say, you know, I kind of deserve this because I've given up so much somewhere else. Which, which parts of you? What are the things that catch your eye, that begin to catch your heart? The desires that pull us, the way people talk about us when we're successful. Oh, that person is, oh yeah, it feels better. Or the way, maybe the way you escape with things. Maybe it's some uh, sense that you're struggling with in, in pornography or some other thing. And there may be happiness. Whatever it is that catches your eye, what happens is you get stuck in this cycle. Maybe it's a political thing. Maybe it's headlines in the news that every time, you know, you get sort of frustrated with other people, you go looking for the facts to buttress your case, you can go and wage war against everybody who doesn't think like you or see like you. And that's what you want. And what happens is what you want begins to fuel what it is that you look for and what you look for just continues to fuel your desires. It just creates this loop over and over and over and over and over again. Psychologists call this confirmation bias, right? You, you, most, you are most likely to look for what you were already looking for. We rarely see things differently unless we do something about it. And this is really the heart of what I want for us to look at and explore in here. Because even in this, we say, well, where's the truth? Because what you're doing is you're looking for facts, whatever, and I, I heard it said, and I think this is true, it says that a narrative is more important than facts. Someone's narrative is more important in facts. People will often use truth to support their narrative. People come in all the time and say, quote, statistics on everything. And statistics, all they are is just tools to prove whatever point you want to prove. Because some, right, we all know this. Everybody uses facts to support their, their thing. And what we've got to do, and it doesn't mean that facts aren't true. It doesn't mean other things, but truth is something different than this. And this is what I want for us to kind of get as those of us who are followers of Jesus who walk with him. 
This is how it's written. And I've, I've used this verse and looked at this verse, memorized it uh, when I was a kid. Uh, and it's just, it's been in my heart and my head for a long time. But I try to look at it a little bit more deeply every so often. Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. Some of you might be familiar with this. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and your proper worship. What you'll do is you'll see this in its, in its context. And these are the two famous verses about how to find God's will. And because most of us assume that God's will is what we're supposed to do, we immediately start looking for the list of things that we're supposed to do. But the first thing in this verse, if you'll notice, is Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in what? And put it back up there. In view. In view of God's mercy. The posture, the starting point for this isn't trying to figure out what you're supposed to do and then do it. The starting point for this is to see something that you may not readily see. We talked about this in the previous series, right? We said that when Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God, he asked us to seek something because you only have to seek things that you don't readily see. And here it is in view of God's mercy, we offer ourselves. Our motive, our inspiration for this is God's view or God's posture towards us, his loving kindness towards us. And so we offer ourselves to him. And then he gives us this incredibly practical and to me profound um, command. Do not be conform or do not conform <clears throat> to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing and perfect will. I remember most of my life when I read this verse, I run to the last part. Oh good, then I'll know how to test his will. I can figure out what God wants me to do and then I can do it. And that's just what we feel like off the top of our heads. Like that's the first thing that we feel, the first emotion we feel, because that's how we're wired. And he says, no, 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 you gotta, you gotta seek first something in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies, position yourself before him. And then he says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Something has to happen here. I mentioned last week about my journal and the reason I keep it is because I tell my mind monkeys to behave. That's what happens to them. And what I've learned and what I think we need to understand is there are essentially two ways in which our hearts get formed. There are two ways. What we tend to look for tends to confirm what we are looking for and then we just look for it harder and we get stuck in this loop. I've actually counseled people and talked to people who have been counseled by other people and get advice like this. Well, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. That's just the way it is. The heart just wants what the heart wants. That is a lie. The heart doesn't want what the heart just wants. The heart takes its cues from what we set our sights on. If you look at something that makes women objects time and time and time again, guess how you are going to view the world? Guess what you are going to see every time you see a female? 
If you see people as a means to an end, if that's how this person, if you're always a networker trying to figure out how to create the best win-win for you or whatever it might be, that's how you're always gonna view people. It, it sort of sets us up for this. And what you gotta understand is in this passage, what we learn is there are two ways in which our hearts get shaped. Number one is they are shaped from the pressure that we feel from the patterns of this world, which is what most of us have experienced most of our lives. I'm not immune for it. It happens all the time. There are expectations and pressures that, that I feel and I face. People assume things about me. There are pressures that we face just because we live in this world. You gotta know what those are. What are they for you? They might be different than they are for me. What are the pressures or the patterns of this world that you have sort of, that you feel like you are squeezed into? That's, way, that's way, uh, the first way in which our hearts get formed. The second way is that our hearts get formed. It says, by the way, you to be transformed. What I think this is, the way I wrote this down, is this is the surrender to the life that we've received. Surrender to the life that we received. It says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. This idea of renewal is not just about purifying our thoughts and getting clean thoughts in our mind or even positive thinking. The idea of a renewed mind, it's got two kind of components to it when you really kind of mind this out. I just, I love to do this. But it has to do with the fact that renewal means that something is brand new in its nature, in its essence. It's different than it was before. And number two, it has to do with the fact that there is something that is yet to be experienced. It is a process by which we become. To renew your mind means that you're gonna always sort of battle back and forth. And this is kind of the deal. A lot of us think that mind monkeys are these really cute things. They're really cute and they, they just bounce around and oh, these little mind monkeys are often kind of fun, but they're not. Mind monkeys actually wage guerrilla warfare on your soul. This is exactly how the Bible talks about this. 1 Peter 4, 11, it says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, as people who live differently than the ways of this world, as people who operate under a different system. Remember, I spent the last 14 weeks trying to help us understand that through all this election, all this election chaos that we've experienced, that the kingdom of God is fundamentally different than the way in which the world operates. And so what we're talking about here is as people who live like this, he says, we have to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. You'll begin to see this. The language in, the, in, in, in the, your thought life is not, it's not passive. It's not even sort of like urgent. It's warfare urgent. It's warfare not realizing that these, your thoughts have the power to transform and to shape what's happening in your heart. We live at the mercy of what entertains us. Instead, we're, we're called to live at the mercy that we encounter in Christ. This is to set our sights, to set our minds on him. And this is a very different way of thinking. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says this. For though we live in the world, just notice the language. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. It just starts off like this. Though we live here, <clears throat> there's a different way for us to wage war against this. The weapons, and here it is again, the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And so what we do, and I wanna stop there for just a minute. I've, been, I've always been hesitant as a follower of Jesus in my whole life. And I don't know if it's because I'm, 
Uh, you know, my, my mantra is uh, kind of full send at 50. I'm 50 and I'm not playing anymore. Um, and so I don't know if that has to do with that or if it's just maybe something else. But for a long time, I've tried to like not to over-spiritualize things because I, I can't stand it when people like over-spiritualize stuff. And sometimes you just need to, you don't need to, you just need to do something, right? And so I, I, but I, what I begin to see when it talks about this demolishing of strongholds, I think a lot of these things that pull on our hearts, they set up these root issues inside of these, these places that are deep and they create a, a stronghold, a place that we just don't get by. For some of you, it's stuff that you've been stuck in, thinking that has to do with your own sense of worth or thinking about your own sense of overworth or whatever it might be. There are these places you get stuck in. And what he says is that there's something that's been given to us that has the power to destroy or to demolish these strongholds. And then here's what he says. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete or, for, or, or fulfilled. This is a really interesting passage, a really interesting thing, especially this kind of tag on the end of this. We'll be ready to punish every act of disobedience. We'll be ready to put everything in its place at our first step of obedience. A lot of us are trying to get this figured out first and that's not how it works. You obey, you, you, you obey something and then you begin to see the transformation. What he says, and this is what I think is happening. We're sitting here and we have all these thoughts and he says, I want you to take every thought captive and you reach in and you grab one and you hold it up and you go, does this help me see God more? Does this help me align my heart with God? Is this something that seems to be in line with this way of life under the rule of God's love? And we look at it. And if it's not, you get rid, oh, that went right to me. You get rid of it. And you pull up the next one and you look at it. And if it is, you take it into who you are. It really is that important, that simple for you and I. But the problem is this happens so fast that we scarcely have time to consider it. It's part of the reason that I've created in my own disciplines, right? These, these ideas, not so much to discipline myself to do things to slow down, but to discipline myself such that I can slow down and see. You cannot see these things in a hurry. You cannot identify these things in a hurry, but these are all the things and forces that are shaping your heart. A lot of us think that we can't do the things that we want to do or experience the kind of things that God seems to promise to us because we just can't do them well enough. And that's not it at all. It's because most of us haven't slowed down and set our minds on things. There are all kinds of things that pop into my head often that need to be captured and discarded. All kinds. I wrote about this in... in uh, my book, and I call it Blowing Up a Moment, because oftentimes things happen so fast, you gotta blow, almost like the Matrix, when he sees the bullet and he goes back, you gotta just stop it and, bl and blow it. And what you'll find is every sin pattern that tends to get you has an origin that starts with a single thought. Every, every pattern that you have in your mind that sort of sends you off the rails, you think about it, and then you're just like, you're so anxious and you're so annoyed or you're so whatever, it all has a single origin because what psychologists have learned and neuro neuroscientists have learned is that our thoughts are not independent and they don't bounce around in our head. They look more like this. As soon as you think one thought, 
It is immediately followed by 17,000 more. That's why they call them trains. It's like the monkeys have linked arms like Toy Story and that is exactly what's going on. You know this is true. Think about how many times you've had the same conversation or the same scenario in your head. When someone pulls out in front of you in traffic, the story is exactly the same. When you come home and your kid hasn't done what you've asked them to do, the story is exactly the same. For some of you, you have the same conversation over and over again with your wives. It's the same fight because the first thought is always the same and it is immediately followed by all the other ones. This happens. How do you respond when you go into the grocery, right? Think about this. The person who's in self-checkout at the grocery store with a buggy You know exactly what kind of person this is. You know what kind of upbringing they had. You know who they voted for, right? You know all that stuff. It all started with a single thought. I, I, I'm, I'm a little obsessive about process. How many of you know this? Because people ask me, I've been doing my quiet time for a long time. I've been you know, trying to, to entertain or to process this for a long time. And so I track things in my journal. I joke that it took me about 15 years to get consistent in my quiet time. So if you're like only seven or eight years in and it's still hard, you're in good company. Just don't quit. But I will tell you, I measure this because one of the things that I began to do is I began to think about how is it that I can pay attention to my thoughts? And it led to one of the most profound lessons that I've ever learned. And I've shared this message with people all over the place and you can see like they just almost can't believe it because it's so simple. And here's the simple truth. Here's the thing that I've learned. And you might wanna write this down. You can think your thoughts. You can think your thoughts. You can actually stop and consider what it is that you are seeing, what you are thinking, what you are feeling, what you believe about what you're thinking, you're thinking. you can do all of those things. And what I realized was that a lot of times the sin patterns that I was stuck in, whether it was things that I thought about another person or things that I was entertaining in my own head, in my own heart, I realized that if I could get to this first thought and I could start to assess and say, I'm gonna hold this up and see if this, if this kind of lines up with what God has said about me and what he's calling to. When it talks about guarding your heart, it doesn't mean that you protect it from being heartbroken. That is not possible in this world. If you love anybody, you're going to be heartbroken. I'll tell you the thing that's, that I'm at least excited about in, in what's happening in our church with our leadership and what I see happening in our staff, we have been moved to tears over people in ways I haven't seen because we're starting to really, we, we, and it's not that we haven't, but we're just growing in that. We're, we care deeply about what happens to people who are part of our church. We're very dissatisfied for you to just come and go, oh, that was a good mess. We want, we want for the transformation that has been promised to not only be available to you, but to be experienced by you. And you give yourself to that and you give yourself. And sometimes people get it and sometimes people don't. And it's hard and it's frustrating and it's heartbreaking but that's just part of it. You don't guard your heart from that. What you guard your heart from is anything that undermines God's work in it. I hold up everything and say, God, is this going to further 
the kind of person that you've created me to be? Or is this going to take away from it? And listen, it gets really, really detailed because there are sometimes you go, you know, should I really be watching this TV show or should I really be listening to this song? Because these are things that I'm setting my affections on and they create a whole train of thought. So what I want you to do, and this is kind of what I would, this is the exercise. I'm gonna give you some reflection questions that we're gonna stop here in just a minute. But I wanna ask you, what is your reflex thought? It took me about six months of really intentional, like a really uh, stuck sin pattern that had its kind of talons in my heart about 17 years ago. And I remember just really, maybe it was longer than that, wrestling with this and to really grab this and say, God, you said it's more blessed if I do this, but it feels like it's more fun if I do this. You said it's better for my soul in the long run to do this, but I'm telling you, this will give me the relief from the pressure of the stress that I'm feeling here. God, you said this, but here's what I sensed. And I pulled it up and said, I had to look at this and then allow it to create a brand new train of thought. And it took me about six months to where that default thought train actually changed. But it started with identifying my reflex thoughts. What are your reflex thoughts? What are your reflex thoughts when you drive? What are your reflex thoughts when you're on the beach? Guys, and you see a lady in a bathing suit, what are your reflex thoughts? What's the first thought that pops in your mind? What are the thoughts when you see someone and you kind of size them up? Or what are, what are your thoughts? What are the thoughts when you see someone who's got all the bumper stickers that you don't agree with on the car in front of you? What are your reflex thoughts? What's that first thought? What is it? And I'm not, it's not like <clears throat> rhetorical. I would write it down. I would get really honest about how you think about, about how you think about what's happening in your head and what's happening in your heart. Because this is the first place that the narratives that have kept you stuck or frustrated or anxious, this is where they begin. This is where you learn to suspend a judgment and perhaps say something might be different that I'm not yet considering. One of the great things when you're raising teenagers is instead of saying, how could you do that? Turn it into a question and go, how could you do that? And they'll go, because I'm 13 and that's what 13 year olds do. And you go, duh, I forgot. And then you can have a sane conversation because you're not having the same old conversation that you've always had before. It works with your husbands. It works with your wives. It works with employers. It works with employees. The odds are you can predict most every conversation that you're gonna have with another person if you just start it a certain way. I've done marriage counseling for years and I'll sit down and I can, I'm like, let me tell you how this goes. You say this and she says this and you say this. And they're like, oh, how did Jessica, well, the Lord told me, so you better listen to what I'm about to tell you. I'm just kidding, I'll say that. <laughs> because it's predictable. It's predictable. It's predictable. For some of you, the narratives that you've played in your head, they're predictable. You know what they are. That's why you're so worried about them. What's your reflex thought? Grab it. 
grab it. Something is going to shape your heart. It already is. Either it's the normal, natural patterns that you are currently experiencing, or perhaps it could be something else that you decide to set your eyes on. I don't have time to get into how the truth fits into this right now because we got to stop. We're going to talk more about this next week. My mom used to always say, you know, you, you may have heard your mom say to you one time, do you, do you know what your, why God gave you a brain? Your parents always say, you know why God gave you a brain? Do you know? Well, it's not what you thought. I'm going to tell you what that is next week. Here's your check-in questions. This is what I want you to write or think about this week, four of them. Number one, what are your reflex thoughts? Number two, number two, where does that train take you? And you're like, uh-oh, because <laughs> you already know. Number three, how does it derail your hope to change or to be different? And number four, how could reframing those reflex thoughts create a new track if you took that thought captive and lined it up against the knowledge of God in anything that threatens His work in your heart. So simple. So unbelievably difficult. But I want you to remember where it starts. It starts with what you see. It starts with what you hold in your view. It starts with slowing down and allowing your eyes to be set on something diff different and allow your attention to be placed with intention and then to allow your affections to catch up. We're gonna talk more about that next week. I want us to close. So this is, this, is, this is one of the songs that's been on repeat on my playlist for a long time. And the reason is this thing helps me to slow down because it just says, you've brought me here. You've given me this space to rest. Everything else about your life is probably pulling at you in a thousand directions in the next three and a half minutes. Just consider this is space for you to breathe. It's exactly what it says. You've given me space to breathe. So I'll stay right here until it sinks in. Father, my prayer, my hope is we just stop, we'll receive this as a gift that you've given to us, a space to breathe. A place for our souls to just settle down. God, to receive to surrender to the life that we've been given and to receive it, to trust it. God, in this space, maybe you'll like grab our reflex thoughts and help us to set them up. Maybe there'll be conviction of where we actually entertain thoughts on purpose because we like them. 
that you'll awaken us to a deeper affection, a more profound and enduring affection. God, just to rest and to stay here until it begins to sink in. God, what a beautiful picture as we just rest in who it is that you are and who you reveal yourself to be. And I ask all of this, just speak to us in this. And I ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, who is our king.